Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod as the rugby season draws to its end. And boy, was it a weekend of action. The All Blacks once again falling short the second week in a row. So much to talk about there. The Northern Hemisphere giving it to the Southern Hemisphere as the power base changed. So many things to talk about. We've got super rugby squads. We've got the Black Ferns and their tough Northern tour. Boy, an end of year review, if ever there was one. I'm joined by James Parsons and Bryn Hall. Thanks very much, fellas. Jippa, you first. Are you, are you reeling from Sunday morning? How do you feel after the second test loss in the row for the All Blacks? Oh, well, as a fan, you know, you, you always want your team to win. Um, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Uh, you know, like I think two years out from a World Cup, uh, still have plenty of time uh, to make adjustments to the style we play. Um, and, and we've built a bit of depth on, in the squad. And, and we've been in a unique situation the last two years with um, COVID. So uh, it's certainly not um, a record we want to have. And, and the players have acknowledged that. And, and certainly us as New Zealand public, are, uh, I suppose, see the All Black brand as, as a picture of excellence. Um, and, and it has fallen below that in the last two weeks. But I, I think they'll um, you know, learn a hell of a lot from it and, and put them in good stead building towards 2023. Bryn, are you uh, going to give them, a, I suppose, time? Or are you worried at this point, a couple of years out from a World Cup? No, I wouldn't say say worried. But I think the more important thing was obviously taking the learnings that they have had from this tour. And I think, you know, in fostering even the coaches and even the players as well. It's been a long tour. You know, it's, 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 it's not your normal kind of tour that we do have. You know, we went five tests in a row, then had a little break and then five tests in a row. So, you know, obviously with COVID in 2022 and hopefully with the vaccinations and being a little bit of normality coming back into the, you know, the calendar for internationals, um, we might see a little bit more, um, you know, a better schedule for the All Blacks. But look, I think, I think again, there's, there's some good test matches that they did do this year. And obviously, you know, you don't want to end your season around uh, with the Irish game and the French game. But what it does do, um, it's probably um, gives the coaching staff and the players something to, to kind of look forward to and make sure that they do have the learnings coming into, into next year and saying that, you know, that 2022 year is going to be massive. for them, making the learnings that they did do in probably the last two test matches when it was probably um, evident and, you know, the whole of the world was able to see, um, you know, the thing that the All Blacks probably need to work on the next probably 12 to 24 months. What are those lessons, Jibber? Um, Look, I think it's probably um, decision-making with ball in hand. You know, Fozzie sort of alluded to it after the Irish test and, 
again, we had plenty of opportunities in that first half. Um, you know, we, we, we're normally known as a team, if you go into the 22, we come away with points. Um, and a number of times we didn't due to skill execution or, you know, the French's ability to win the ball back. Um, and then the other thing is obviously that discipline as well. Like we gave the French a couple of easy exits. Um, you know, even when we did turn the ball over in the 22, we then gave a penalty away, which piggybacked them up the field and, and relieved the pressure on them. Um, so a couple of those um, things, but also um, taking reference back to the Welsh game where we actually started the game with picking through the middle and being really direct with our um, forwards. And I know it's an old school um, sort of saying when it comes to rugby, but you've got to earn that right to go wide. Um, and they did that really well against the Welsh and, the, and they went through that middle. And when they actually started picking through the middle, and that's uh, third 20 minute block. That's when we had our most success and, and scored some points. So potentially looking at that game and, and bringing that into their game earlier, because with this rush D and, and all these defenses getting, um, you know, confident um, against the All Blacks attack, that's when they've got all the energy, you know, all the atmosphere, um, you know, is, is in them. You know, they've got plenty of, um, I suppose, blood and adrenaline running through them. So maybe taking them on up front and sucking a bit of that energy out and then allowing um, the boys out wide time on the ball because you've you've tightened that defence and, and gives them the ability to execute. Because I certainly don't think it's a skill set thing. Um, it's just making, I suppose, the different decisions and, and, and shaping the game as they go along. Yeah, yeah. Bryn, with that in mind about the pick and go, the tighter stuff we saw at work against Wales, it barely featured against Ireland, why would it only be plan B against France? Why is it the fallback option? Oh, I, it just depends, really. It's more so like you have like your solutions going into a game. So, you know, they probably would have thought possibly that they wanted to stay with their traditional shape that they did do. And like we even probably look in that first, you know, look at that probably first 10, 15 minutes when we accumulated those points. That was due for us to play in our structures and playing through what we wanted to do. So whether there was good clearance and that break, especially in the breakdown, we talked about it last week around them not getting that right. But in the first passages of play, they did really well being able to um, accumulate pressure and being able to put the defence under pressure. And then that in turn came to having six points in that first stanza. But unfortunately, you know, the first two tries that happened so quickly and probably that 24, um, you know, that 24-11, that, sorry, that 24 points that they scored in the first half after that, uh, we ended up chasing the game from that. And so... You know, when you do get a little bit of pressure on you, you need you want to be able to play a little bit more. And there were a little few um, char uncharacteristic mistakes from the All Blacks that you know the the French pounced on. I thought their click attack and counter attack ability off our off our mistakes were really really good in that in that first half. And so they took their opportunities and really gave out that that massive lead in that first half. But um, you know, in that in that kind of second half, I thought you know going into that pick and go was a great solution for that. You know, they tried to play a little bit and weren't getting what they wanted and to have that ability to be able to go through the middle. And, you know, it was probably from that 47th to the 60 minute mark. We scored 19 points with just going through the pick and goes with the like of Tokiaho, I thought, was outstanding coming off the bench and really getting over the advantage line, the likes of Aki through that pick and go, and even Artie Severe again, who in that kind of domain is, is, is where we need him to be able to get over there and get over the advantage line for, for that ball. So, um, and then in test matches, you know, it comes down to, to, to little moments. And, you know, you look at the 62nd minute when, um, you know, uh, Intermac, Intermac, sorry, Intermac, you know, it's a quick kick all the way down to our opposition line into their back, back into their, into their goal line. He ends up coming out, does a little dummy, and then they go the full length of the field, and that kind of gets that pressure from there uh, and turns it when the game was in the balance. And then obviously Davies, unfortunate one with that intercept, the fact that, you know, if it does go to, go to hand, um, you know, there's a possibility that we could go down the edge and make some gains out of that. So um, it, all, it all marries up, and I think, 
I think it's going to be just a really good learnings and coming through this tour and moving forward to 2022 and what that's going to look like, and especially in pressure situations like that, that they're going to play against France, you know, in the opening game or in a quarterfinal or semifinal game where the plan A might not work, but what's plan B? Is it through the pick and go like we saw for that kind of third quarter or is it our kicking game that we might need some attacking kicks? We saw, um, you know, Geordie Barrett give one to George Bridge and taking out opportunities um, when we get it like that in tight test matches against um, some good quality opposition that we are going up against at the moment. A tough end to the year, Jipper. Have there been any improvements since 2019? I mean, they've had a foundation this year. They've had 15 test matches. They've had a lot of time together, a lot of time and long periods together. Have they made any improvements since the last World Cup? Or are they in the same place? No, I, I certainly think they have made improvements because they've had the blueprint. When, when they've had that front foot ball and they've been really physical at the breakdown, We've seen, you know, how electric their attack can be. And I also think for the most part, except for probably the last two weeks, their defensive system's been really strong. You know, they've really focused on that low tackler and getting in and winning those breakdown turnovers. And, and that's becoming such a key, um, I suppose, part of the game is, is the ability to turn that ball over at the breakdown. And so for the most part, I think parts of their game have evolved. Um, the, the one thing we do have to um, sometimes just step back and have a look at is the quality of the French and the Irish, the way they applied pressure. And, and what I mean by that is, is they came in with a clear plan, and I don't know if the French copied Ireland, but they stopped taking their points. So often we see teams take their points early against the All Blacks, and, and they try to build that scoreboard pressure, but they were relentless both times in those first 40s in the sense that they kicked to the corner and they said, right, we're going to suck some energy out of them, and then, if you know, it's all or nothing. It's, it's a bit of a gamble, but it's an all or nothing play. And then both sides switched to taking the three as soon as they're in the second half because they knew they'd got that lead and they just needed to chip away at three and keep that that keep that scoreboard building to a point where the pressure was enough for, for the All Blacks to keep chancing their arm. And they obviously did chance their arm. And, and Bryn mentioned that, you know, the turning point of, um, you know, not nailing that kick chase, French going all the way, and then Artie unfortunately getting... Um, penalised and yellow carded, uh, you know, which forced that pressure because they knew if they scored there that that, that would have been a mm -hmm. tough place to come back from. So it was an all or nothing play from the All Blacks. But that's due to the way they structured their game as in the French. And Ireland did the same. So it puts your skill set and I suppose your mindset under pressure. Um, and, and, you know, you've heard Fozzie and Sam Whitelock and, and Sam Kane and co all talk about, um, I suppose, composure in the big moments. And that's what I think. So I know it's not ideal today and right now, but I think that the lessons that were taken out of that for a lot of the young guys that they've blooded this year since the last World Cup is going to be massive for them, but also massive for their leadership group. Having now experienced it and not overcome it, they'll have those feelings and, and, and they'll be having the discussions, well, how, how do we best um, get around this next time so that we come out the other end of these games? But you know, we can talk about turning points in 60 minutes, 50 minutes, but at the end of the day, the All Blacks are normally the side that gets out to a hot start. And I think if we can nail our start and get our game plan right about going through the middle of teams, because every time we did that this year, our forwards sh showed the blueprint of our success. Yeah. So I think it's just backing ourselves, even against the bigger teams. Potentially, maybe we need to put on a bit more size. I don't know. But if we go with that game plan initially that we showed in um, parts of the rugby championship, oh, I, I think we're still a force to be reckoned with. I think also as well, well I think also as well, Ross, um, you talk around some things that possibly could be an, an improvement. You talk around probably the turnover aspect as well. Like I think our defensive system this year has been really, really good and we've been operating at a pretty 
high percentage. But I think, you know, you look at the Irish game, yep, we've got to have a high success rate of 88, 89%. But, you know, being able to make tackles time and time again over and over. And I know France, uh, sorry, no, I know Ireland is the, is the example where it's to the nth degree around 238 tackles. But the ability to be able to stunt people's momentum and growth around their, their ball playing and when they have um, the ball for a long period of time, I think that could be maybe an improvement that we could do. Get a turnover to be able to take their momentum away and then we can start going into being able to go into their territory and be able to put teams under pressure through our, through our play, whether that be through our maul, our scrum, or being able to play in the 22, like Jip said, and probably be a, be a little bit more clinical in scoring points there. And then maybe even also off our kick chase as well. You look at the South Africans and even the Northern Hemisphere teams when they do their box kicks or their um, contestables off 10, the ability that they have a jackler right then and there, whether it be a prop, you know, you look at Kitsoff or Marks and the South Africans, they have a really good ability to be able to go from defence, you think you think a defence mindset, kicking in this, in this hemisphere, if you, do, if you could do a contestable really, really well, and then you've got someone clamping on the ball straight away, straight then and there, you've got a penalty, and then you're going 50 metres um, down into the 22 areas and where we can be so clinical and we can be so um, ruthless because with our ball ability and playing on top of teams. So I think maybe those are two areas that you know you could possibly come in away um, from this test series uh, just through the whole year that um, that it could be a bit of an improvement moving forward to get better, to give ourselves opportunity to score more points and be a little bit more ruthless in that, in that way. If you look at the three tests that we lost... Okay, against the Springboks, we lost the breakdown turnovers. So, and then against Ireland, it was the same. We lost the amount. They won more breakdown turnovers than us. And the same against the French. Every other game that we won, we won the breakdown turnovers. So it just shows the importance of having that physical dominance in your clean-out so it doesn't allow the opposition the ability, as Bryn says, to stunt your momentum um, because it's such a big play. We saw how much it meant to James Lowe the week before when um, uh, Peter Armani got that crucial turnover um, from a breakout from the All Blacks and it was no different on the weekend uh, the French were very effective in, in getting those turnovers so I think that's key but also I think we need to change our perception of um, Northern Hemisphere rugby because for the most part the Northern Hemisphere teams are the ones kicking to the corner earlier and, and, and going for the seven points rather than the three and, and you know for I suppose the Southern Hemisphere sides due to probably the pressure they were under and the games needed a breather, so they took the three. But it was quite a role reversal, I felt, when you're watching these games. Mm. Where are our cleaners? You know, if they're not there and they're not doing it adequately and the opposition are getting the ball, where on earth are they? It's, it's not just the cleaners. So first off, it's the ball carrier's right to win the collision. If he wins the collision, it makes the cleaners roll a lot easier. And it's not that the cleaners aren't there, but if you don't win the collision and you get a, a chop tackle right around your legs and you drop right there and your cleaners are, are running their support lines to one, receive a pass, clean out, play halfback, it's it's then a race. And then if it's a really good chop tackle and they've won that line speed pressure and they've got a mate inside and out that can just get on that ball straight away, guys like Marks, Wokey, um, Skelton you saw on the weekend, tough to move. Doesn't even matter if you you join that race 50-50. It is, it is really tough to move. And you've now got to get the accuracy of your clean right. So you cannot yep. go anywhere near the head. So it's a real tough job. So the key is actually on the ball carrier to win the collision first and foremost. And that makes the cleaner's job so much easier. Mm. So where are we in the world now? We've come out of this. You mentioned the Northern Hemisphere dominance, their approach to really take it to the Southern Hemisphere teams. You look at New Zealand losing to South Africa, losing to Wales, losing to France. Um, how strong England use, have looked. I don't know if I use the I'm actual objective dominance. 
<laughs> where, where on earth, uh, where on earth are the All Blacks in the standings right now? Like legit, never mind the official rankings. Bryn, where do they sit in the in the pantheon of things as we sit right now? Oh look, I think you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have that have happened during during this year, and like we've talked around the the test schedule and the ability of of being away from home, and I know you know from that group in the New Zealand um, All Black coaches and even the players, you know they won't be using the schedule or the um, the amount of time that they've been away from home as any form of an excuse. But um, you know as a as a fan, and you look you look at our test schedule, you know it's a tough. It's a tough way to do that. So you'd like to think possibly in 2022, it might be a little bit more lenient towards us to be able to have, um, you know, back-to-back weeks or a week off to be able to refresh and get ready for another big test match. But look, we're, st- we're still right up there. You know, we're still right up there. We're, we're consistently always in and around there. Look, we lost we lost three games this year out of 15 test matches. So, you know, if you look at the other Southern Hemisphere teams, you know, they're, they're really nowhere around the fact of the success that we've had. Um, and it's just unfortunate the back end of the year, you know, the Ira, the um, Northern Hemisphere teams have really come to the come to come to the forefront. So you probably look now within the top of the world rugby scale. Um, you've probably got six or seven teams now that are uh, that are really competitive and can beat anybody on the day. If it was if it was competition or World Cup right now, you'd probably go into that competition thinking there's six or seven teams that could win this competition, like really really well. And so um, we're, we're still right up there. You know, we've had um, better successful year around. Um, you know, having 12 wins in, in, in a big year, but. Um, it's probably just more so the other unions, and especially the Northern Hemisphere, coming to the party and really, um, you know, taking to taking to the Southern Hemisphere teams this year, and more so putting them on notice and knowing that you know what you've got to change a few things coming for not only next year, but for 2023. Because if you don't change and you don't adapt with what's happening, um, you're going to get results where we um, you know, we didn't win them. Isn't that the crux of the issue, though? I feel like as a you know completely uh, as a journalist, not a rugby player. I've watched since about 2017 and felt like, actually, we haven't learned a lot. We've kind of stayed in the same place. You know, we continue to get beaten by the same things, the line speed, the forward pressure, the breakdown. Like, it, it feels like we're not going anywhere, Jim. Well, those are key parts of the game, but I, I don't think we um, had that, um, I suppose, that pick-and-go mindset. I think that's been a big shift. Um, obviously, we were quite the expansive team. We had the three forwards, and it was a clear... Um, way of attack but as you as you've alluded to like teams have got used to that and they, they believe that line speed pressure can put us under pressure so I, I think there has been evolution in, in our game um, but I think it's important to know as well like if there's ever a time to have a couple of back-to-back losses I think the last time um, this happened was potentially 2009 which is two years out well that was the last time we lost three tests I can't remember but two years out from the 2011 World Cup and we know you know how successful that was so I, I think there's so many lessons um and positives to take out of the situation and, and look call me an uh, optimistic bloke um but I, I think it sets us up if you look at the spring box before the 2019 world cup people were probably saying the same things and they really found them found their way and and you know galvanized as a group and, and led the charge into 2020 uh, 2019 and, I, and i'm hoping to see the same from us because if you look at it face value on form you know, the, the Irish, man, they're, they're playing some great footy and their skill set and attack. Like, Tark Furlong's making line breaks and offloading to his mate Porter. Like, he did it again on the weekend. Um, you know, a, a young man out of Leinster came, you know, they're creating depth as well. Young guy off the bench, um, Leinster, I think it was Beard. You know, explosive um, second rower with, you know, great skill set. So, their forwards, um, with the combination of, you know, experienced players and and Sexton and and Murray in and around that group whoever starts and and guys like Jamo 
um, having a bit of flair and, and James Lowe and, and players like that, Bundy Aki, they're in a really good spot. But it's about finding the form they're in now and peaking for the World Cup because that's that's what everyone will be judged on. Because at the end of the day with the All Blacks this year, there's still a lot of trophies in the cabinet. Okay, there's, we're missing two. But outside of that, we haven't missed any others. Mm. If you're going to make your mistakes, you better make them now, I suppose, Brent. Well, yeah, exactly. You kind of look at, um, here's another example, I think, you know, that you talk about in Ireland, you know, even though previously that we talked about it last week or when we played them, they felt like they were peaking, you know, two years out from a World Cup. So, yes, ideally as an All Black fan and for the All Black country, we, we're so used to the excellence of them winning every every year. But for me personally, I'd rather get take the losses right now and get the in a position right now where we can actually have the learnings and be able to adapt our game two years up from World Cup and to have the end result we come in 2023 and we win a World Cup due to the fact of having the, the tough India tour that we had this year. So um, I think it's more so like what we've just talked about. It's been able to take the learnings and the things that did work really well. You talk around the pick and go game, Jip, um, been able to, you know, we scored 19 points against the, the French on the weekend. And then I think also it's our kicking game. It's been able to be able to use our kicking game to go from defence into attack. And so I guess, you know, is it, is it going to be off nine? Is it going to be more off 10? Is it going to be some contestable, ga- sorry, some crossfield kicks like Bowden Barrett or Geordie Barrett have done during the series? And then um, you talk around dominating the field position. Do you want to kick nice and long through the middle of the field because the two in the pendulum are, are at the, um, on the side on the sideline? So I think the way that we can try and kick and can try and control position uh, can be one thing that we, almost, we also need to do as well. And then I think also for us as All Blacks, because we want to attack so much, it's been able to then attack and get a, a structural set in place to, to be able to apply pressure on attack from a kick game. So, you know, whether the South Africans or the English or whoever, Ireland, whoever it is, well, they want to go back to a little bit of more of a contestable format and want to go into a um, kicking game, territory game, then how can we be able to attack off that and be able to ask questions and be able to try and get through line speed defence, which probably are the most teams that have put us under pressure off that line speed due to the fact that they've kicked well and kind of put us in um, awkward parts of the field. Mm. So, uh, Jeff, I want to go back to your point about the Springboks two years out from the World Cup. Obviously, probably the key difference between them and the All Blacks in this particular moment is that they got rid of their previous coach, um, admittedly having been hammered by 50-odd points in Albany, um, which the All Blacks haven't got to those depths yet, although they did concede their highest ever half-time deficit against France on the weekend. We don't have a new coach coming in. Ian Foster is there for another two years. He was given an extra two years in his contract before this tour happened. Looking at Ian Foster, two years into his deal, do you feel like they made the right choice instead of going with Razor? And on top of that, with two years left on his new extension, was that extension given too early? I think it's a really tough question to answer when you're not in the room of uh, the interviews. Like Razor's credentials speak for themselves. Um, But as we've seen, with players that perform at Super Rugby level, making that next step test match level is is challenging. And I suppose because Fozzie had been in and around that environment, um, I suppose it was a natural step for him to go in there. And, and I, I don't really want to join the chorus um, of, you know, is he the right guy? Should, you know, um, Scott Robinson be in there? I, I just, the fact of the matter is he is our national coach and his team is there. And they're the ones that have experienced this down um, and I think they'll be the ones best placed to take the lessons they've felt and moving us forward to the World Cup as for the reasons I've already explained really. Are you on the same page Bryn? 
Yeah, I think it is. And I think we're just, it's just for the fact that, you know, Razor's had so much um, success and, and um, you know, his credentials are, you know, we've talked about it and Jip alluded to it around how um, how successful he's been. But again, I think, you know, the fact that Ian Foster's been um, in that environment with Steve Hansen and, and has done his time and, and has a pretty good understanding of what the All Black environment is. And, and no doubt, you know, in that interview process as well, you would have had players and, and people that would have supported him and, and that kind of stuff as well. So um, I think th- I think it's more so we've just got to embrace it. The fact that, you know, there's two more years, um, they're not, there's not going to be change of coach and has been able to get behind him and get him the support systems or things in place to be able to succeed because look it's 2023 it's contracted to, to 2023 so you know give him everything that we can to be able to make a, a successful run and winning a rugby world cup and you know that's having Ian Foss and the, and the Brad Moore and the likes of John Plumtree and all those guys in, in Feek as well having them there so um, yes there's going to be um, decisions and, and people have their opinions around what's going to happen but it's set in stone and you know let's give them the opportunity to be able to try and win a world cup and like we've talked around hopefully they can take the learnings and have an opportunity to be able to rectify a few things that they think they need to work on going into the 2022 and um 2023 season i think also uh, just one, one point to note is we speak about the players and i suppose the the high pressure situation they've found in the last two weeks and the need to show i suppose composure when when you know you're right in the thick of it and and that pressure's on it's no different here. Like I, I think it's key for us to just be composed and and back ourselves. We made that decision, and we've got to back that decision. And and you know, us as I suppose administrators and and that coaching group, if they show that sort of composure, that can only filter down to the playing group. And it's a great, um, I suppose, style of of teaching leadership under pressure. And here's another one. Sorry, just before we just before, just before we move on from this, Ross, you look at um, you know Sir Graham Henry and Steve Hansen and you know Wayne Smith back in the day. You know, when they lost their World Cup, you know we had a, we had a great team at that time, and you know most of New Zealand public were saying you know we'll get rid of them, get rid of them, and um, you know New Zealand Rugby Union they stuck with them, and look, four years later they ended up winning a Rugby World Cup, and it wasn't smooth sailing. You know, you look at that kind of 2009 year. I think you know they lost to South Africa three times in that series, and you know pretty similar questions around happening. Are they the right people for the job? But, you know, um, I think, you know, the fact that they've made that decision, you know, I trust them. I trust them to be able to, they're going to make the, the learnings and have, be able to have the opportunities to be able to have that, um, this end of year tour and make the learnings to come forward to give us an opportunity to go to 2023 and, and win a World Cup in France. It's interesting. I had someone text message me the other day and say, hey, who was the last All Blacks coach to feel this much heat? And, and, and more than that, feel this much heat the moment they came into the role. And I was trying to go back through the professional era and really Ian Fotter's in a very unique place in comparison to every other All Blacks coach that has come before him in that he's never been like a, a head coach at international level um, or he hadn't won a championship at a domestic level when he came into the job. So he always was going to have more asset on him. He's currently sitting at about 85% winning record, which you know, through history is a very good winning record and pretty much only All Blacks coaches have ever had that kind of winning record. So it's not looking awful, but at the same time, he was always going to cop this. You know, he knows it, he's admitted it. He was always going to be in this position because of the fact that he didn't have what Graham Henry had with the Blues and Wales or Hanson had with winning a World Cup and also, um, you know, doing a pretty good job at Wales. You know, you go back through Laurie Maines, John Hart. These guys are guys who've won championships, big titles. Foster was always going to be in this position. I can't think about how hard it would be for him right now, not that I'm being apologetic for him, because he was put in a position where the New Zealand public had their guy. He wasn't given the job, and he's on a hiding to nothing, 
basically unless he wins that World Cup every week until he wins it. Is that a fair summation, do you think, Chipper? Oh, look, I think any coach that gets the role of All Blacks is going to be judged by the World Cup. Um, you know, that's the nuts and bolts of it. As I mentioned before, he's won a hell of a lot of trophies the last two years um, in trying circumstances. And, and I suppose that's the difference is he's come through this COVID era, so there's nothing actually to compare it to, to, to understand, you know, it potentially might be, um, you know, a successful campaign when you look back at it and, and see what they've gone through. I don't know. But I also would pose the question back is why don't we back our system to bring our coaches through? Why do they have to go somewhere else to get that experience um, to then get the All Black job? It's If he does pull off 2023, I think he's paved the way for coaches mm-hmm. to stay here, coach at super level and, and be patient enough to wait for that job to become vacant and, and for them to put their head in the room. Hmm. It's an interesting skill dynamic, I suppose, going from assistant coach to head coach and being head coach at a lower level and going up to a head coach at a higher level. I, I don't know enough about it, but I can imagine, Bryn, that it's quite a different process and quite a different adjustment. Oh, it, it depends because I think in, in nowadays, um, especially well, only from my, my experience, I look at Super Rugby and it's not even obviously to the extent of, um, of international level, but the head, the head coach has the, the assistant coaches do uh, do a lot do a lot of the coaching you know so yes you know Fozzie was obviously an assistant coach and you know was then being able to give into the into the head coaching role and so you you also become a bit of a, a manager of people and so um you know that's what the head coach role kind of even at our level, super rugby level they've got a really good ability to be able head coaches be able to be um connect with people and be able to keep them on task with the, with the big with the big big idea and a big goal and then your assistant coaches, you know, predominantly do a lot of the coaches and maybe and have a, a collaborative idea together with the head coach. But you know, they they run their own system. They run whether that be a tackle, defense, or whatever it is. So, I think the transition going up to a head coach is you've got to have the ability to be able to be a good a good people person and, and people manager. And so, you now Foz had um, had experience with Fozzie. He's a really really nice guy and he's got a really good be, a good ability to be able to talk to people and have a, a caring aspect to him. So. Um, I don't think the transition would be too much. It, it, it does take a little bit of time. Obviously, it is a different role from being an assistant coach, but the the difference between an assistant role and a, and a head coach role isn't isn't that much when you, especially when you get up to kind of, I can only assume at, at international level, like it is at, at Super Rugby. Well, I reckon we've got pretty deep into the All Blacks there. Maybe it's time to move on to the Blackburns, huh? <laughs> and to, to the next one, they probably too will be having a thorough review, especially with the World Cup coming up next year. Another tough lost France. They've lost their last six test matches in a row now, four on this tour and then two in the previous ones before that. So where do they sit, Jip, heading into next year? What does their review process have to look like? Well, can I first off start by saying it was a much better performance. Um, You know, they were right in the hunt, especially at 14-7, the penalty try just before the break hurt. Um, so I suppose the, there's still the same key areas that we've spoken about that need improving. Obviously, the mall defence um, and their set-piece work, uh, both attack and defence, is, probably, is probably a key pillar um, that they'll be wanting to rectify and focus on. But it certainly has got better. I don't know if you noticed, especially at the back of the lineup, they were doing a couple of quality sacks. The French... Um, players adjusted quite well to it, but they did have moments of success of um, having the ability to stop the malls. But Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Also, the French had the ability to adjust. Um, I suppose the other thing is the kick strategy. I, I, you know, 16 kicks in a game where they had 70% territory in favor of the French, 30% territory in favor of themselves. So, if you're only kicking 16 times, you need to really make sure those kicks are accurate and, and not rushed. So I think a big um, block for them is, is to really focus on the kicking on their terms and, and making sure that they're ready, their chase line's ready, their blockers are ready, um, and it's going to be a, an effective attacking kick or an effective you know territory-based kick. But um, I, I think that that is because the, the balance of position was about 50-50. Um, and I think the French kicked about 27 times to about 16. So it's definitely an area that they can focus on getting better in. Um, and then I, I suppose, you know, finally is to acknowledge that, man, when they attack, their attack looks good. Like a couple of times, Portia Woodman did the a Jonah Lomo on Mike Cat, like just steamrolling players. And, and, you know, they've got a good physical presence about them. Um, so I don't think, again, I know I might be sounding optimistical today, but, it's not as doom and gloom, like they're in charge of the changes, similar to what we said about the Wallabies earlier in the year. If they can control what they can control, you know, like t 21 turnovers, 18 penalties, um, you know, being clinical with ball in hand and, and fix up those areas I spoke about before, I still think they're in a good spot to be competitive. Um, and, and a year out, yes, it's a, it's a bit of work to do, but um, I think at home, you know, we've seen how big a home crowd plays for these, these teams. Um, I think that'll be a massive, um, I suppose, incentive for them to dot their I's and cross their T's for the next, you know, eight to nine months to be bring the very best out of themselves so that they can have a crack at this World Cup. Yeah. It's always sunny on Auckland's North Shore, eh, Jipper? <laughs> it's always sunny over there. <laughs> Bryn's there as well. Bryn, uh, is it sunny, sunny where you are as far as they're concerned heading into the next World Cup? Yeah, I think, well, Jibber's pretty much touched up all the points that I wanted to bring up as well, just so how astute he is and I love hearing that. So, no, nah, Jim brought up all those, some really great points. But I do think the ability that they are going to have to when they do play these oppositions, because they're not going to play them again, is that the fact that they might need, they might be a little bit tight. And what I mean by that is that, like, they're not going to get many opportunities compared to like what they've probably been accustomed to all over the years. And so 
because these teams are so, are so are so clinical and so ruthless, you know, you can't afford to be able to give away penalties, which they've done predominantly a lot on this tour. Letting, letting the valve off and being able to give them easy outs. So the penalties, you know, there's 17, I think it was 17 or 18 that, that Jip said, and then you know, having 24 turnovers conceded, you know, you can't build momentum off that. And so when you're playing against really good teams that are dominating in set piece, which, you know, they'll, they'll go away with, with a real emphasis on trying to get their right, especially their line out, both throwing the ball in and um, being able to stop a line out driving more. But I think it's with our attack. You know, you look, you've got the likes of Porsche Woman, Stacey Flula. Um, you know, we even talked to Aisha as well. The, the, those kind of girls, and even Kendra Coxage as well. You know, at a time who has such a great player, can bring so many attributes and, and so many great things for that for that team. But you know, just due to the fact that we aren't building enough pressure, even though it was a lot better uh, physicality and it was a lot more competitive on the weekend. Um, if, you, if you're going to continue to keep turning over the ball and giving away penalties. Um, especially against these high-quality teams. Um, you're just not going to keep yourself in the game. And then the points that Jip's brought up around their set piece, that's going to be a massive, massive 12 to 24 months, uh, sorry, 12, you know, 12, 6 to 12 months to get there right. Because if they, if you if you can't get there right, Jip has said it all along, if you do not get your set piece right or you do not do your forward grunt work, um, you give no opportunities for the likes of Flula or, you know, even the uh, Porsche Woodmans and the likes of those players to be able to really... Um, imprint them game and it's just like having one-on-ones you know or just the ability to be able to get them in space instead of just running into brick walls and trying to and try to beat them like that mm. it's interesting i know that you mentioned you know give credit to the northern hemisphere teams in the men's game we obviously have to give a lot of credit in the in the women's game as well when you look at the evolution of professional rugby in the women's game which is still relatively new you could probably create an argument that this french and english team of the best prepared teams do ever have played the game in the women's game and you could probably make a very strong argument they're the best ever teams to have played the game in the women's game and that's what the black ferns are having to get used to and that's the level jipper they have to step up to yeah absolutely and i suppose need to be given the opportunity to be you know fully professional as well you know it's a it's a i suppose a blueprint or a pathway these teams show how much they can improve as individual um, athletes as well as a collective approach as teams and, and I suppose understanding the game more and and you know changing their tactics up and seeing what works for them and, and that's all time together isn't it it's all relationships and building those combinations we all love the Ben Darwin theory but it's it's not um, it's not wrong you know you need you need time to build those combinations the more time you can have on the grass with each other off the grass um, and, and having those strong connections and bonds um, brings you together as a team and then I suppose that dedication um, to the S&C side, it gives you the ability to do that 24-7 to, to make yourself the very best version of yourself. Yeah, well, we wish them all the best in that prep for the next step in their World Cup defence. Hopefully it all goes well for the Black Ferns when they step up next year. Let's take a look back at the test matches on the weekend now that we've gone through the New Zealand teams. Um, England, South Africa. Uh, hell of a test match in the end, a hell of a result. Um, Jipper? What did you take out of that game as far as where England and South Africa sit right now? Oh, I took out of it, um, you know, the English attack, especially in that first 20 minutes, was um, pretty strong. You know, like they were really physical, recycled that ball really quick. And um, I, I suppose the, the ability to um, execute under pressure, like uh, I don't know if um, you saw it, but Slade's pass to Tuolangi for that first try. Man, it was he was under rush D pressure and he just got rid of it and it was a good 15, 20 metre pass. So their skill set under pressure, um, their physical carries, getting across that game line, allowing Youngs to get in there and get the ball out, um, and and I suppose their their attitude to play early again. I sort of alluded to it early, but they 
they really wanted to score tries um, and then chip away at the threes after that, which you know they did, and they also scored a great try um, in the second half through Joe March and had to move from the wing into centre, which is probably his preferred position, to be honest. And man, he looked good. You know, he he sort of came from out, outside of the squad onto the edge, and then you know Tulangi's injured injury brought him in, and um, you know he made every post a winner to. Um, you know, stake his claim for, for more more game time. Um, and then the Springboks, you know, it was a high penalty count for England. Um, you know, I think it was 18-8 in the end. And I think, you know, they obviously wanted to chip away at three, but, you know, Pollard missed a couple. And, and they were from tough distance and angle. And I just think the one time they actually kicked to the corner, they sucked in some defence and Mpimpi scored in the left-hand corner for, after starting the right-hand corner. And I just think maybe couple of those penalties earlier in the game where they, you know, I know it's hindsight and, and Pollard, if you've got them, you know, they'd probably run away with the game anyway, but their maul is so destructive, uh, utilising that to suck defenders in to then give their, their backs, like Delende's on fire at the moment, um, and Mpimpi's scoring tries at will. I just think they might um, regret those sorts of decisions, or not regret, but maybe look back at them and say, hey, we can actually... Because um, when they play rugby, as we've spoken about, they score points um, and they score them convincingly. And then while they were still up, I'd say that last minute would frustrate them looking back at it, just how reckless they were in, in terms of, I think um, it was um, Reinhardt went for the turnover and he was never, ever, you know, that was on the on the edge. He was never, ever going to be holding his own body weight as elbows were on the grass. And then when it moved in, um, you know, um, Trying to uh, stain, Francois Stain, um, just flew him with his knees. You know, like his intent was there, but if they just remained composed in that, you know, and not given away a penalty, and they'd been so disciplined the whole game, it doesn't give England that opportunity. Um, so there's just mm-hmm. a couple of things that maybe they'll, they'll consider, but I, I do think they're worthy number ones. I know they didn't win this, but um, they are, they are um, you know, at times a complete package. Wow. England's pretty much right up there with them as almost first equal right now, are they, Brennan? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you beat, um, whenever you beat a side like the South Africans, and you know you obviously have success against the Australians as well, it would have been great to see um, an English and All Black game because you know that's always a, a storied rivalry. But now they are; they're um, they've got the ability. You know, they scored three tries to one, and obviously. South Africans play a little bit different around, you know, accumulating points with with Pollard and uh, in the boot, and then being able to build pressure through that way. But yeah, look, I think England, it's even England, Ireland, and France. You know, those three teams. I'm just so impressed with how they played against the Northern Hemisphere teams, and um, it's the different styles that they, they can play. You know, their attacking ability and their efficiency at the breakdown is probably something that's, um, you know, one thing that the All Blacks probably want moving forward going into next year. You know, whether that's the ability to be able to get off that um, that, that collision and that footwork or get over that advantage line and the efficiency of the clean-out um, to be able to then give the likes of, you know, you talk about Merchant or Earth that was outstanding on the weekend and giving those guys opportunities to be able to play on the front football. But then, again, we're accustomed to seeing them being able they can switch it straight back into that kicking game, whether it be off Kerr, Murray, Jamo, or DuPont, who can kick off both feet or, you know, off their 10. So... They're in a really good place of being able to go through both both styles at the moment, those three teams. And, you know, England, again, um, you know, any time they can get a win um, against a South African team who, you know, you're, looking, you're probably looking at it, you know, probably should have won that test match. And if Khaleesi doesn't get that sin bin, which, I, again, I thought that was tough, but, you know, we've talked around the law and it's probably warranted of a yellow card in this day and age. And then a couple of brain explosions from, um, I think it was it was Yanchis and then even Stain as well, you know, at the back end of a, of a, of a, test, of a test series where, 
you know, you're going to win the test match. You've done so hard to be able to grind your way back into the game and have two penalties like that. Um, you know, it's probably a sour note for the South Africans thinking that we probably should have won that test match if they didn't do that in the back end of the of the game. Let's go there with some of the refereeing decisions from the weekend. Jipper, there's a wee message from you into the WhatsApp group about that Tompkins try for Wales versus <laughs> the Wallabies with the slap down. You were fired up. Oh, mate, it just was confusing because Beal had yep. obviously been yellow carded earlier in the game and, and you know, his eye line or, or whatever, but I'm, I'm, my understanding of the law is you've got to make a genuine attempt. And one of the things that was always explained to us is that, you know, you got, your hand's got to be going up to make it look like you're tapping the ball up to regather it. Um, and I just didn't see that. And, and look, I'm not convinced it was smacked backwards. Um, and then to award the seven points, such a crucial seven points. I mean, the Wallabies fight and guts on this tour. Um, it certainly hasn't gone their way, but those are the uncoachables. And, and Dave Rennie will be absolutely frothing with that. Like He'll be loving that because he knows he can sort the other stuff out with him and his coaching staff. But um, it was just confusing at times, some of the ref's decisions. And, and I'm always an advocate on here for, um, you know, supporting the refs and, and, and making sure that they don't get too many... Um, I suppose, sticks thrown at them. And the one thing I always say is you have to be consistent on the night. If you're consistent within that 80 minutes, it will not create frustration. It wasn't consistent. It was very inconsistent. I think that's why I was getting frustrated. Um, and I'm obviously still looking for that job with the Wallabies too. <laughs> well, it's even like... Um, it's, even, it's even Valentini's red card, you know? The, the idea oh, no, of that that's red. I, I reckon that's red. Like, you've got to drop your height now. And I know it's face yeah. on face, but that's a clear law. You have to show a dip. You can't just keep running upright. It's similar to the one in the air. It's your responsibility to do so. Because we've got to make some changes. Um, you know, we can't have a crack at, um, you know, the unions, you know, around the head collisions and then, you know, have a crack at them around the red cards. So I've. I've got no problem with that. It's it's just the inconsistency between one gets awarded a try and the other one gets yellow carded. It just it, yeah, it was it was frustrating to watch. It was a great test to watch though, I might say as well. You know, and and the Welsh deserve credit because obviously Beal kicks late to put the put um, the Wallabies up, and it was just set up, wasn't it, for like the redemption of Quade Cooper and Kirtley Beal for the Wallabies. You know, kicking late goals to to get them wins, but. Um, it wasn't to be, but you've got to credit the Welsh. To, they came from deep to get themselves in the position to nearly score a try to win that win that game. Yeah. So, and they're under like we spoke about before, England, Ireland. Um, I think you said the French as well, Brenner. You know, and we've got Springboks right up there, and I still believe the All Blacks are up there. The Welsh won the Six Nations. That you know they're going through a tough time in terms of injuries and um, you know getting their full squad back out there. So they are a threat as well. Um, and and mm. as I mentioned with the Wallabies, their guts. And their fight, I just feel they're creating something special, special in that environment. Um, and I think if they can control the controllables, as we always say, they, they put themselves within um, winning most Test matches. So what what has done this this autumn or this you know India tour? It's just opened up the plane. If you think around like the world rugby, and you, you predominantly always see the All Blacks in and around there, the they're the standard, you know, that's where you want to get to as a, as a nation. But, you know, you look at all these other teams now, I think, you know, going into 2022, I can't wait to see the Six Nations, how that plays out next year, and even the likes of when the June series, when the All Blacks get to play. 
Well, I'm looking forward really now. You know, any, if you were to do the competition of the World Cup right now, I know we're not going to, but you know, you could seriously, genuinely say, you know, six, seven teams would be in a position to, to winning their World Cup and for a really good chance to do that. Where you, we probably haven't had this. I can't remember in my time that, that I've been alive that there's so many teams that are so competitive that could possibly win a World Cup and how close it is uh, between you know those five or six nations. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. Um, and it's good that the expectations heading into the next World Cup from a New Zealand point of view will lie on every single game along the way. You can no longer be like, okay, if we don't make the semifinals, we're an absolute failure. I mean, it'll be treated that way, no doubt. But, you know, there is a very good chance that quarterfinal opponent could be the opponent that could absolutely trip you up, you know. Um, yeah. And maybe in the last World Cup, Ireland should have been that, but they weren't, were they? No, but even look at the Scottish team, like the growth they'll have in another year's time. I mean, their forwards are laying such a great platform, but their backs are electric, man. Like Stuart Hogg leading the way, but like, you know, all of them, Finn Russell, um, you know, it's it's just exciting to watch them when they come from deep in their counterattack or when they attack off a mall, they're innovative. You know, they're another threat as well because on their day, they can beat anyone. That's, that's the beautiful thing, but... And, and don't we, I suppose, love it? Because this just adds excitement to every test match that's played. And it brings people that probably aren't big fans of our game to watching our game because it's entertaining. Yeah, what about Japan? Where are they at? You know, they had a better game on the weekend. Sure, but where are they at? Are they getting close to those top six or seven teams that we're talking about? Bryn? Oh, I think they'll be probably disappointed around around that that series, especially. I um, mean, you know, they probably would have had high hopes going to the to the Northern Tour and probably having aspirations of trying to simulate that. You know, this is a World Cup, and having those kind of things around, like how the All Blacks were probably testing. You know, the fact that they're playing France round one in the, in the Rugby World Cup and trying to maybe simulate a, a prep week or what it's going to be like in, in Europe. So, no, look, I think they I think they will be disappointed, and I think you know we probably expect a little bit more from them from them now, knowing that you know the success that they had in the last World Cup, but. You know, I think the biggest thing for them moving forward is just being able to, you know, we know that um, they play a high-tempo game and they continue to keep doing that. Uh, but it's always going to be the physicality and that set piece of being able to win those moments in big test matches and being able to do that time and time again. So, um, And then the ability as well to be able to kick the ball and being able to then defend for long periods of time against the physical likes, you know, you look at South Africa or the English, and being able to do that for long periods of time. So, um, look, I don't think they're in that kind of realm around the six or seven with the teams that we have talked about. They have do have a little bit more work to go to, to to do. But I think in the same vein as the as the Black Ferns, you know, the fact that they went overseas and they went over tour, they went on tour. Um, it's no different for Japan. They went over there and played some high um, quality games against um, teams in their in their home stadiums overseas. Um, and they'll be able to, you know, hopefully take away the learnings and Jamie Joseph and Scott Hanson and, that, and Tony Brown and that group. Um, can make the, the adjusted learnings that we've talked about with the All Black, Black Ferns and probably the Southern Hemisphere teams as well. Let's move on to domestic rugby. Today, the Super Rugby Pacific squads for the New Zealand teams and Moana Pacifica came out. We've obviously had players released over a period of time, so we knew most of the people in these squads already, but when you see it on paper and you put it next to the other teams, you know, it, it does tell a story. Uh, Bryn, who do you see as the strongest squad? Obviously, you've got to be a little biased when you look on paper. Where do you see the teams who are the real threats to you guys? 
Oh, look, I think there are all the teams are always competitive in, um, in New Zealand, you know, Super Rugby, Aotearoa, Pacific, Pacific next year. Um, but I do like a couple of signings that, you know, the Blues have had. You know, we're, we're going to see Roger Tuifasa-Shek um, coming into next year, who was a great coup for the um, for the, for the the Blues and um, was unfortunate that he didn't get played for the Auckland team in Bunnings NPC to be able to see him and, you know, I guess, you know, iron out a few things and get kind of get back to playing rugby for when he was when he was younger. And, and I think the signing of Luke Romano is, um, is a great signing by... Um, Leo McDonald, um, the amount of knowledge that he brings on the field, but also probably more so off the field, and what he can bring for that um, for that locking um, companion companions at um, at the Blues is going to be massive for them. You know the facts that they lost. You know the likes of um, Epa, who's who was massive for them last year, who we thought possibly could be in their All Black frame, and Paddy Tupelodi won't be playing as well. So anytime you can add experience of, of a guy like Luke Romano into that environment to be playing or to be able to be coaching or mentoring those young guys coming through. Um, it's going to be really good. And they've got Anton Signer, again, who I think is a, a really young, talented kid coming through the system who has gotten away from us and has, has seen the light at the Blues. But um, he's a young guy that's coming through, and I know there's a lot of flankers or loose forwards in, in that kind of setup, but a guy that um, for the future um, he's definitely one to look, to look out for. So, look, I'd say the Blues are probably are sitting real pretty. Um, and for me, you know, they'd probably be one team that I'd see thinking that um, they'd go pretty close to winning the championship next year with their recruitment and the fact that they won Super Rugby AU last year. <laughs> Handing on favouritism already, Bryn. Oh, you got to give credit to them. You've got to give credit to them. They've got a, got a great group, and it hasn't just been from last year. It's been building. So they've got a really good squad, and um, they're getting guys like the likes of Luke Romano, um, you know, even um, you know Roger Tuivasa-Chick, who's obviously come from league, but um, and they have Bowden Barrett as well, who's back, who's back as well, who's, you know, playing pretty good footy as well, so... All sitting pretty for the Blues. I'm um, coming 2022, Chipper. <laughs> Beauty, mate. Sounds good. We can wrap the competition <laughs> up, can we? Uh, well, for me, look, I agree with Brent. I think there's been some great signings um, by the Blues. I think another one is, is Ricky Riccatelli. Uh, we know how you know awesome he's been for the Hurricanes when he stepped into that role. And I think uh, the competition between himself, Kurt Eklund and um, Suwani, uh, Vikina will be will be awesome for their individual growth, but also for the Blues as everyone vying for minutes, which is great. Um, I, I think if you look at the Chiefs' first five depth is pretty exciting, and and you know that competitive environment is is a big thing. You know, I just mentioned it with the hookers there, but I think Josh Uwani played some fantastic footy towards the back end of this NPC. Uh, you've got Caleb Trask there, who we know, you know, he's he's proven to perform really well at, at super level. And Bryn Gatlin, um, I don't need to wax lyrical about him because I've pretty much done that for the last two years. But I, I think that's exciting for them. And, and you know, with Damien heading off um, and, and bringing a guy like Brody Retallick, um back into the mix is, is special as well. I think the Canes have done really well recruiting-wise. You know, Tay Walden, Blake Gibson. Some, you know, really solid experienced guys to bring into that group to, I suppose, set, you know, the back three alight that we know there and, and maybe, um, you know, challenge, um, I suppose, a couple of players in there for, for spots. You know, Duplessis, Karif is there, Blake. Um, you know, that their competition's key. So I think most sides have recruited well. Know about Pablo Mateta down in the Crusaders and I think also Triple T is a big one. Um, you know, we've yeah. spoken about on here, but that depth at half, is, is key because we know like that and I don't want to I'll touch wood as I say this but um, you know they've been very fortunate that Bryn and um, Drummy have stayed fit for you know three or four years um, but having that security of someone that's representing the All Blacks in that third spot 
um, is, is massive. And I suppose it's not really um, fair for me to say the third spot, is it, Bruno? I suppose it's straight away a blank canvas. Um, you boys will be competing for that nine jersey from the get-go. And the Highlanders bringing back Gareth Evans, um, you know, sort of replacing Liam Squire. And there, I think players like that have, have been awesome. And Marty Banks as well, I think, is key for them. There were two guys, sorry, Ross, there were two other guys that I um, that I thought was a great signing as well. I think, you know, Dominic Bird as well, going back to the Hurricanes, is going to be great for, for that team. And, you know, obviously you have Scott Scraft in there and, um, you know, they've obviously had some James Blackwell, who's been great, a, a great season performer. But anytime you can create a guy like that with Dominic Bird, especially with this height and coming into the into the line out, um, it's a real asset for them. And I think it's going to be a great, um, a great signing for them moving forward. And I think also Simon Hickey, Coming down south is going to be a massive one for us. Um, you know, we're not too sure what, what's happening with Richie, and he might be out for, you know, four to six weeks in that first comp. And you know, Fergus Burke has been, um, you know, coming through the ranks and you know got some good valuable minutes with us last year, and then you know got a full season with Super uh, with um, Canterbury with Brett Cameron going to Manawatu. two. Um, I think you know having a guy like Simon Hickey, who you know, like you said, Jip, if there are any injuries, and you know, Fergus Burke or whoever goes down or Richie does go down. You've got a guy that's played as trader not only with the Blues and um, at the Hurricanes, but he's been overseas and, you know, that kind of season campaigner. And, look, he's no, he's not the age of, like, a Mike Delaney. You know, very similarly, we brought Mike Delaney into the environment for that kind of third role and that older guy. Simon's not that old to the old Mullies, but um, anytime you can add experience in that, especially at 9 or 10, um, I think the Crusaders, yeah, look, they've done that really well with Triple T and, you know, they're bringing the likes of, um, with the likes of bringing Simon Hickey and also big Pablo Martina. I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes, so... Look forward to seeing him with a shoot. Um, I can't. I can't wait till he smashes you at training. <laughs> Man, I'll be wearing the yellow boot, brother. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> what does that mean? What does the yellow boot mean, mate? No contact. Uh, quarterback. Boot. Quarterback. No contact. No go zone. No go zone. Just a protected veteran, me. eh? The Don't Tom Brady me. of the team. <laughs> nah. A few less grey hairs than Mike Delaney, though. What's that? A few less grey hairs than Mike Delaney. Oh, a few. Sorry, let me just make this very, very clear. Simon Hickey, obviously, you're is not as old as Mike Delaney when he came down here. So, but an experienced guy <laughs> who knows, who's played a lot of rugby and not only New Zealand but um, other parts of the world. I think the yeah, other what... key with with Sickle is he's hungry to play because he's had a couple of seasons of injuries. And I think that's massive what he can bring to that environment as well. Like he'll want to play minutes. He's, he won't be there to make up the numbers. And I think that's, you know, it's a, it is a great signing on that sense of what he wants to still achieve in his, his rugby and um, potentially, you know, reform his career here in NZ, but then also create opportunities for him later on um, overseas. Um, I remember from talking with Jason Holland from the Hurricanes when Hickey was there, he talked about how integrally was to their attack setup. Having that kind of brain, whether he's on or off the field, is is really big, just like you mentioned with, with Mike Delaney um, coming through. What about Moana Pacifica? Now, do they have the depth? Because they've obviously got a you know a good probably starting 15, but do they have the depth in what could turn out to be a long season for an expansion franchise to really push towards playoffs in their first year, Jeffa? What? I think you have to look at the, the players they've recruited, and a lot of them are from, I suppose, the New Zealand environment at the MPC, um, and, and a lot of them coming out of Hawke's Bay, to be honest, and we know how successful they've been. Um, but it, look, it, it will be a challenge because, you know, you're starting a new um, club. It's, I suppose, a new group. Like, yeah, they're all great um, as individuals within the systems they're coming from, but reform, like um, getting together and, and getting a bond 
um, and I suppose a greater purpose as that unit will take time. Um, so I don't think there's any need to put pressure on them. But when I read through their squad, um, pretty impressive. You know, like I've been talking up um, for my um, in, the, in the Magpies, Lalangi Vicenia, um, you know, a number of those Magpies players are, are, are massive. Um, but I think, you know, if, if depth is tested, it's, it's probably who are the replacement players. So that squad to me looks good. It's not just the 15. I think that looks like a really competitive squad and a, and a team that could do the damage. But I suppose where are the replacement players coming from and, and what experience and can they fill those gaps as we're talking about um, with, with some of the New Zealand sides? I think it's going to be really important for that group, I think, moving forward. You know, I think you know, it's going to be an exciting time for them. And you think you probably look at the first probably, you know, probably first month of competitions. They're going to be upbeat and you know, they've got a pretty good draw in the fact, you know, they get to be, be at home for, for the first one, the first couple. And so, you know, that kind of excitement and that kind of stuff and playing a new competition, you know, an inaugural first, first team that you're going to play for um, is really going to be really exciting. And I think depth is something that we've talked about, which is going to be a mess to them. But I think it's going to be the grind. It's the grind of having the long, the long season, and you know, you get to that week eight, week nine, and being able to train at a high intensity, playing at high intensity, and playing really good teams consistently in and out every single week. I think that's going to be a real test for them, seeing how they are able to do that. And so, the likes of Christian Lilafano, even you know, uh, Kepu as well, those boys, and given those young fellas coming through, a lot of them have played in the Bunnings NPC, and so their ability to you know, you play one that campaign's ten weeks compared to you know, putting another six or seven games. And they're much more of a high intensity. You can't afford to slake off, especially if you have aspirations to make um, the playoffs. And so the experienced guys who have been in those environments and know what that looks like, I think is going to be really important. And Aaron Major understanding of it as well. And so I think for the fact, you know, the contracting system probably had to happen really, really quickly. And fortunately enough, the NPC, a lot of those guys were able to play really well. I look at, you know, the Anisi brothers, you know, Lotsu Anisi, who I think is one guy that you probably want to look out for. Um, he was making massive gains for us at, at Harbour. He's an explosive number eight at the back. So, you know, given an opportunity at this level, it would be great to see how his development goes. And I've talked around Eddie, Eddie, and Eddie Anari as well. You know, you look at how his form, you know, you've watched a lot of Bunnings NPC and, you know, he's probably one of the form halfbacks and couldn't make a contract for another New Zealand Super Rugby franchise. And so, fortunate enough, the Mono Pacifica was there and through his heritage and an opportunity in that club, um, he's going to be able to play meaningful minutes. And, you know, even like the likes of Tamatini are there as well. And so, I think it's a really exciting time for them. And I'm really stoked that it's in Auckland, you know, the ability to be able to um, have that community as well, which uh, a lot of Pacifica Islander people are, are in are in Auckland. And so, they're going to have that really home home base feel and really looking forward to seeing how they go in this competition. And um, hopefully they don't, there isn't too many injuries and they can really um, put their best foot forward moving forward in this competition. Yeah, it's going to be a good year next year. That is our review show for this year's competition. Still one more show to go this year. That is the second annual Aotearoa Rugby Pod Awards Night. Um, now, I don't think we gave away any trophies last year, and it just came to me that maybe the perfect trophy, you know, you've got the green jacket, you've got all those kind of things. Maybe Bryn's yellow bib is the player of the year trophy. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon it should be a manscaper. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah we'll get some sponsors on board. We'll see how we go. Uh, but yeah, tune in for us next week. We will go through our players of the year domestically, internationally, maybe some of our plays of the year too, teams of the year, all of those wonderful things, all competing for the Bryn Hall yellow bib where you don't get any contact training that next week. I'm not sure we could get all of the uh, super coaches on side to follow through on that for one week as part of the podcast. Surely they'd be in. Surely. It's a huge, it's a, it's a huge play if you can get the bib, man. It's a huge play as a player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
We're loving it. <laughs> well, we'll wrench it out of your hands and give it to somebody. So thank you very much, James Parsons, Fred Hall. I'm Ross Carl. That was another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Catch you next week. Matewa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.